Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. On this episode of the Smart Home Show, we talked to Rob Conant of Sirent about the current state of Wi-Fi and how after all these years, Wi-Fi still has so much room for improvement and how they're trying to enable the billions of devices without screens or browsers to get on the Internet of Things. All today's Smart Home Show. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Smart Home Show. My name is Mike Wolf. Today's guest is Rob Conant, the CEO of Serent. For those of you who aren't familiar with Serent, they make technology that allows devices without screens, without browsers, to get on the internet to find Wi-Fi really easily. As easy as if you're opening up your phone for the first time and it finds the cellular network. They're trying to replicate, replicate that experience. And so we talked to Rob about that. We talked to him about the current state of Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi, quite honestly... It's one of the most interesting stories this year in the smart home and the broader connected home. Who would have thought Wi-Fi, which is this, you know, 15 to 20 year old technology has largely become mature in a lot of people's minds. It's just Wi-Fi. It's like this. Sure, it gets faster every few years, but it's Wi-Fi. But for those of you who live uh, and use Wi-Fi on a daily basis, you know, it's still frustrating. There's so much room for improvement. And it's this thing that's so pervasive and so much a part of our lives if we're connected. That companies have realized, like Rob at Serent, um, some of the guys making mesh Wi-Fi technologies, whole home Wi-Fi technologies, as well as the big guys, um, that Wi-Fi still has a lot of room for improvement. And so we catch up on the current state of what's going on in Wi-Fi. We hear about what they're doing over at Serent, and it's a pretty good, pretty good podcast. I apologize for the two-week hiatus. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks, I went down to San Francisco. I, I dropped in on the launch of the Almond 3 router. Uh, Secure so if I had a party, I went down for that. Also had some meetings. So it's been crazy busy. I've also put out a couple of smart kitchen shows. I encourage you, if you're interested at all uh, in the connection between technology and food in the kitchen, to check that out. Go to the Smart Kitchen Show. You can find that at smartkitchensummit.com or just find it on iTunes. The last couple of episodes have been really fun. We talked to Sam Rose about her really uh, souped up, hot rotted connected coffee grinder, if you're interested in that. And then we talked to Kenji Lopez, the guy behind the Food Lab who won the James Beard Award uh, for the best cookbook. This guy who's been looking at this intersection of cooking uh, and science made a really big name for himself in that. So we have a conversation with him. So again, check that out, the Smart Kitchen Show. If you want to have a conversation with me on Twitter, just go to Michael Wolf. Find, us, find me at Michael Wolf on Twitter. Uh, send me a message, whatever. We could talk about uh, the podcast and Smart Home, whatever you want to talk about. All right. That's it for now. Let's talk to Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. How are you today, Mike? Good. We caught up uh, about a week or two ago, and some of the things you guys are doing in the Wi-Fi space are pr pretty interesting, to say the least. But we'll get to that. But first, I just want to catch up on and talk a little bit about the Wi-Fi landscape. It seems like an interesting one this year. Um, all of a sudden, after Wi-Fi seemingly being a, a mature technology for uh, you know one that you know wasn't all that interesting, it's all, all of a sudden interesting again. Yeah, there's a lot happening in Wi-Fi. I think people are, are recognizing that uh, that two, really two things. One is Wi-Fi is the predominant communication technology for connected things. I think there's there has been a debate for a long time about what it'll be, 
and people are starting to recognize there's just a tremendous install base uh, that's largely backwards compatible to some of the earlier products. And so more and more products are using Wi-Fi rather than trying to use one of the other connected thing-specific technologies. There, there are hundreds of millions of homes that have Wi-Fi routers, and so that's a lot of product companies are looking to that. And the second thing that, that we see happening is people need Wi-Fi for more and more, especially streaming video, and aren't happy with the performance, you know, coverage and speed in the house. And so companies like uh, Eero and Plume and Luma and others are are trying to address that issue by by providing mesh systems inside the house. I think there's some real innovation in that space that's going to make Wi-Fi much better for customers. And, yeah. you know, I'd add just one more thing on that, which is, I think is pretty interesting, that big network operators have also recognized that customers don't want a cable, a coax drop in the house. Customers want you know, streaming video at their TV or on their phone, in their home. And so the network operators are starting to take a lot more responsibility for that customer experience, not just the bandwidth that comes to the pipe. So the DMARC point is almost changing for the big network operators. You know, it's interesting. Like a couple of years ago, I remember very distinctly being at a, a Qualcomm a meeting at CES for analysts, maybe three or four years ago. And they were just, they were very much focused on, uh, and this was after they acquired a Theros, this idea that, you know, Wi-Fi would be the centerpiece of, of the connected home would really be the connective tissue for, IOT, but it seems like they made a little bit of a switch and, you know, they started investing more and more interest and more money into Bluetooth. Um, they acquired, uh, a company out of the UK, uh, that, that does mesh networking for Bluetooth. Um, so it, to me, uh, you know, it, it was an inter- it's been an interesting marketplace where, you know, we see these traditional, uh, kind of low power technologies in the home, Z-Wave and Zigbee, that for the, most of the, you know, the 2000s were seen, uh, by people in the home automation space as the de facto go-to technologies. But then we had the, the IP guys, the, the, the broadband guys get in and say Wi-Fi. Then they've also looked at Bluetooth. It still seems like that's a little bit up in there. And it seems like maybe there's going to be a division between low power devices that don't have uh, power cords with them, maybe kind of going towards Bluetooth, especially as Bluetooth 5 comes out and has mesh technology, then Wi-Fi kind of starts to become the de facto technology because it is – it's so pervasive. It has long reach, um, and it's an IP-based technology natively. Yeah, that, I think that's right. I mean, the way we see it playing out is Bluetooth is used for things that are connected to a person, and Wi-Fi is used for things that that aren't. So, so you know, for example, if something's moving with me, like my my wearable, that's going to be Bluetooth because it's going to connect to the phone, which is on my person. Um, Something that sits in the home, even if it's low power, I think in most cases they're going to use Wi-Fi. So if you look at companies like Roost with their smoke detector, even though it's a low power consumption product, they use Wi-Fi. Lockstate with the door locks are using Wi-Fi natively, and companies like August are using Bluetooth to connect to the phone, and then and then in many cases a Wi-Fi bridge to connect to the cloud. And so so the way I think about it is anything that's that's Connected to the person will probably be Bluetooth. Anything that's not will probably be Wi-Fi. And in some cases, if it's a high, very high-value product, cellular. Is the demarcation point the the connection to the person, or is it cordless? I mean, I do think that Lockstate is a bit of an outlier in the smart lock space um, because you've had a couple companies pivot away from Wi-Fi. 
um, that haven't been able to make it work. And But when you look at, for example, Lockatron, they moved away and they said Bluetooth is just a much better technology. And then, you know, considering that Bluetooth is trying to evolve and they, they've kind of forexed, four tripled or quadrupled the range and they are moving towards mesh, do you still, you feel that that isn't going to be a viable technology for kind of long range networking? Well, if you, if you look at, you know, if you're a product company and you look at the, your options today and you say, okay, well, what's, what's my, what's my potential customer base? If, you, if you're willing to ship a hub along with your product, then you can use whatever you want, right? So the home security companies can use Zigbee and Z-Wave and, and others. But most companies that are making connected products don't want to have to deploy a hub in the home. Even Sonos moved away from providing a hub in the home. Um, and if you're not providing a hub in the home, it's got to be either connected to an individual's phone over Bluetooth, which counts on the individual being there, or it's Wi-Fi. And so, so if you look at a company like, like August and, and uh, many of the lock companies, they provide a Bluetooth to Wi-Fi bridge because they recognize, hey, it's, if it's going to connect to the cloud or the home when the user's not there, it's going to be Wi-Fi because they can't count on those Wi-Fi routers having, having Bluetooth. The install base of Wi-Fi routers is, is huge, and there's no way it, it's going to take – it would take a decade for the penetration of, of Bluetooth hubs in the home to get to that point. I don't see that happening. And so practically, it has to be Wi-Fi. Right. I think that's the kind of the weakness when Bluetooth looks at the smart home. There's always going to have to be that bridge to the cloud, um, and it's always generally going to be Wi-Fi because that's what routers are. Unless at some point routers start to integrate uh, some sort of Bluetooth connection, I wouldn't put it out, you know, the realm of possibility. But I agree with you on that in that regard. Wi-Fi is interesting to me, and I think that you know we we tend to think of routers and hubs as kind of the the way in which it gets on the cloud, but it seems like there's some th- movements afoot as well to possibly, you know, move away from having to use your, your, your routers, the, the way in which you get on the network. You know, there's, there's radios and all sorts of connected devices in the home, whether that's smart TVs or, or locks. And as we move towards, you know, distributed Wi-Fi in the home, I, I feel like that we're also going to see more and more devices being the gateway to the cloud instead of just the router. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, mean, I think the way, the security model that we've used in the past where the router is always the gateway is is problematic. It's hard for people, and that connection and onboarding process is really difficult. Um, when we talk about what we do, you know, we'll talk about some of the ways that we're, we're solving that problem. But the Wi-Fi chips that people put in, even the most basic products today, have the capability to do a lot more than, than we're doing with them today. Um, and so we, you know, a lot of the products, the Wi-Fi products that are in the home can be used to extend Wi-Fi coverage in the home and can be used to facilitate the onboarding for other products in the home. And so I think you'll see a lot of the innovation that's happening in Wi-Fi. I'm sure there's innovation that's happening at the chip level, but I think the really exciting innovation is, is above that at the networking level, whether that's the you know, mesh routers and better performance, you know, range and, and speeds through these mesh products from the router providers, or you know, what we're doing around changing the security model and differentiated onboarding solutions to make it easier for people to use. That's, I think that's where the exciting stuff's happening. You know, you guys, uh, one of the things you focus on, and we could get a little bit into what you do, is helping onboard these different things that come into the home. And that is that is a challenge because not everything is a something with a screen, like a Mac or a you know, laptop or an iPad. You know, we're now seeing things like ovens come into the home or obviously TVs, um, lots of it, locks come into the home. And you guys are trying to be, fill that space to onboard these various things that may be harder to get on the network than normal and create some friction for the consumers because they don't, it isn't an easy thing to do. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. So we, you know, there are a billion Wi-Fi chips sold into browserless products each year. A billion. So massive volumes of, of all sorts of products that are not laptops, phones, and tablets. And, and one of the, one, as we've gone out and we've talked to more than a hundred companies that make Wi-Fi connected products, what people have told us over and over again is we're selling, you know, we're selling to the, largely to the early adopters because the setup process is too difficult. You know, if it's an appliance, you know, you need a plumber to be able to install it. It's not an IT person or a network person. Um, people really want those things to be as easy to use as unconnected products. And that, you know, we've, we've done some studies and, and looked at some studies from Accenture as well and found that 20% of people have trouble getting the products connected. You know, failure rate of 20%. Uh, it's, it's ridiculously bad. And, you know, you and I and, and probably people who are listening to your, to your podcast have onboarded a bunch of these products. And so we're used to it. We can do it successfully mo- in most cases. But for a normal person who is not, you know, a smart home enthusiast with 50 connected products in their home, going through that process is a total, <laughs> totally confusing. You know, they just sit there. We, we did a, one of these studies where we had one way glass and we're watching people set up a Wi-Fi camera. And it, I got to tell you, Mike, it was so painful watching these people. They just got hopelessly lost, hopelessly confused in the process with the soft AP, you know, where you have to flip to another network to um, send the Wi-Fi credentials down to the product. Total disaster. And that's the best of breed today. You know, that's that's what most companies are doing. And, you know, one one of the product companies we, we talked with says said, we have a bunch of one-star ratings and a bunch of five-star ratings. <laughs> All the one-star ratings are because of setup and connectivity. We need to fix that. It's a, it's a, it's a big issue. And we, we believe that if we can fix it and make it really, really easy so that people maybe don't have to do anything at all, or maybe press one button and they're done, that can make it so that anything can be a connected product. You know, alarm, alarm clocks and appliances, really anything electronic should be internet connected. We just need to remove that barrier to having the IT, the person, the consumer be the IT person to actually get it connected. Well, I mean, it's amazing that we're, you know, 16, 17 years really into this Wi-Fi whatever you want to call it, revolution, adoption curve, and it's still hard. I mean, I, I have this this Canon printer that works on Wi-Fi, but then sometimes when I scan, I have to still plug it in to use USB. It's like, <laughs> it's amazing. And, and you, probably like me, oftentimes with the IT manager for the home, and we're always getting my. I probably have a lot of one-star ratings in my home just because my IT support <laughs> falls down with my <laughs> Wi-Fi. It's usually around Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and God forbid, imagine changing your home Wi-Fi password. You'd, you would basically spend oh. the weekend getting everything reconnected and reconfigured. Yeah, and there's a riot that happens when, when that happens. Yeah, don't, yeah, exactly. Don't ever or, travel when that happens. <laughs> yeah, or what if what if your uh, your ISP sends you a new Wi-Fi router and it has a different configuration? You know, you're gonna curse you're gonna curse them because it's it's not set up. You know, Wi-Fi just hasn't solved this problem. It's not really set up for the scale and scope of of what we're trying to do. And with all these connected products, you know, one of our uh, one of the companies, company Time Warner Cable, big network operator, one of the top executives there told me they spend $4 per customer per year. So that's $50 million across their customer set supporting Wi-Fi for, just for TVs, just getting TVs connected to Wi-Fi. $4 per customer per year. So imagine 
if on average customers had 50 connected products. It's totally kind of, unscalable, yeah. total disaster for, for that company. And, and, and we, we haven't figured it out, even though you know, people like you and me and, and, and others that are really early adopters are willing to go through this stuff. Normal people aren't. And we as an industry really have to figure it out and solve this problem before normal people can adopt these products. And that's where you guys are coming in. You're trying to figure that out and you guys are leveraging and you'll do a much better job explaining this than I will. Uh, you're leveraging those, what are they? 10 to 20 million hotspots out there um, that every, router has today, the public hotspot uh, that people have that they oftentimes don't even think about. You guys are using those to onboard all of these browserless devices. Yeah, that's right. So we, you know, we took a look at really broadly at connected products and tried to figure out what would a great user experience look like. And, and honestly, with infrastructure, things like this, the best user experience is if the user doesn't do anything, you know, they, they don't want to do anything. They want it just to work. And so we, we, that's what we aspired to. Um, and we figured out how to do it. We What we did was went out and partnered with many of the big internet service providers that provide the Wi-Fi routers inside the homes. And they've given us the ability to let products connect to the cloud automatically when they turn on for onboarding. And so when a product turns on, you know, it, it, instead of passively waiting for someone to tell it what to do, it proactively does a Wi-Fi scan finds a network that's available that's part of our part of our network and then connects up to our cloud so that it can be moved then over onto the private network it's a really simple user experience in, in many cases it's just literally one click in it, in the app to get it to connect um, and it's much more robust than what people are doing today and and to do that we're using uh, a second SSID in the Wi-Fi router in the home Many of the big network operators have public second SSIDs that, that their customers can use to when they're out and about or at a friend's house to connect to the Internet. And many of them have hidden SSIDs that they use for just for their own service. And we're connecting into those public and hidden SSIDs so that products can get onboarded. We have a, um, a substantial coverage both in the, in the U.S. and Europe today. We're actually, we'll announce specific numbers in the upcoming months, but... Um, you know, we have a we have substantial coverage in the in the U.S. and Europe, so most products that use this technology are going to be able to be onboarded in a really simple way. So the goal is much like we, we you know we go and buy a phone, and we take it home, and you know it already has the the SIM card in there, and you, you just you're, you open you open the box on Christmas, you're getting a new phone, you turn it on, and it's connecting and it searches and it finds the LTE network or whatever the cellular network. That's essentially the experience you guys are aiming for. Exactly. Turn it on and you're done. And practically, you know, if we get into the nuts and bolts of it, if you, you're doing this, these deals with these service providers, you know, the broadband guys that have routers in the home, you know, I have, I'm sitting next to my Comcast router. Um, but then on the client side, if you're like a, a stove maker or a, you know, you're making a lock, uh, you guys are, are you guys doing the deals with those guys to have like the software embedded on their products? So when they, people open it up and try to onboard it, uh, it then can find it? Yeah, that's right. So we, what we've done is, is written code that, you know, that goes down into those embedded products. It kind of sits on the Wi-Fi chip that takes care of the whole onboarding process. And we provide a framework for their apps to have use this simplified onboarding process. So we do deals with those, those product companies to use this capability. Um, actually, they can 
companies can go to our website, they can log in, they can download the code and sort of get started. It's a pretty easy process for the engineers to do. Uh, and we've just made it, opened it up and made it available to, uh, to everybody. It seems like doing the service writer deals, those are big wins for you, but there's a, there's literally probably a hundred thousand consumer products out there they can buy <laughs> yeah, yeah. with, with Wi-Fi in it. I mean, how does that happen? Because for, in order for it to work out of the box, this is not something that you can uh, do a in the field upgrade for. It has to be embedded. So that's a longer evolution process. I would imagine the, the, the Wi-Fi guys or their service providers can do field upgrades and just say, we're going to do a software upgrade to my Mike's Comcast router. But for these guys that are creating the consumer products you bring home, that has to happen in the factories or at the point of manufacturing. Yeah, that's right. So we, you know, what typically happens is we, you know, someone, we reach out to someone or someone finds out about us. They, they come on, they create an account, they download this code and then they integrate it into the code they put in the products in the factory. So new products that hit the market will have this this new improved joining process, new improved onboarding experience, and we're we're working with um, more than a hundred companies now in, in various stages to integrate this into their products. The, this idea of accessing these these private or, or kind of hidden SSIDs for the consumer, like they probably wouldn't think twice about it. Do they? Are they even going to know when they're getting on board that this is connecting to? Uh, their, their SSID that they didn't even really think about, or is this something that, um, I mean, it just, it's an interesting concept. It's, it seems like something the consumer may not even need to know about, but if they do, are you going to tell them? Oh yeah. It, you know, we totally transparent about how, how it works. Um, and there are different, definitely are going to be some people who really want to dig in and understand the security implications. And we've, we really worked hard to make sure that that's transparent and clear for people. So they know that the, that there's no vulnerability on their land from what we're doing. Um, but frankly, I'd say 90, 98% of people won't care and won't know. They'll just say, wow, that was great. Why, why isn't everything like this? Seems like a different lens through which we need to view Wi-Fi. It becomes like this thing that's in the air. You know, if, if like I'm sitting in a flat in New York and I have my, my access or I don't even have uh, my SSID open, I would imagine I bring home my new device. It may actually access through my neighbor's uh, as you know, network, Wi-Fi network. Is this something that the consumers are ready for? You know, honestly, I, I think if you, I think if you talk to normal consumers, they might not know the difference between Wi-Fi and cellular. You know, m people, we, we are really focused on it. We really think about it a lot, but most people just don't care, you know, don't know and don't care. Um, they just want things to work. So frankly, I think people are, Absolutely, a hundred percent, totally ready for that. Making things easy, people want it. Um, the people who really want to understand how it works and you know, be provided more information, a lot of us as early adopters want that. Um, I think it's. I think you know when when I when we started first started working on this, and, and as we talked to people about it, the tech people really want to get in and understand specifically which bytes are going where. Um, but from a user perspective, it sort of just magically works. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think if we can we can show that it's safe, you know, someone my neighbor who lives in close proximity to me onboards his his white good. If I, as a person who maybe feels like I own all that that bandwidth, am assured that like he's not getting access to my network and he's not slowing down my Netflix at night, I guess yeah. I'd be okay okay with it. There may be some people yeah. who, like say I don't want that to happen, and if there are those people who are like that. Uh, you know, the 5%, what do you, do you guys, are, are you telling them a way to avoid that? Well, so, so 
you know, that's, it's really the network operator's choice whether they want to turn on these extra SSIDs. Yep. Um, but in, in Europe, as an example, you, you go into, into the UK or in France, those countries are more than 80% covered with these home hotspots. So it's, it's happened at massive scale already. And there, there was definitely some, some questions about it and some pushback on it. They, I think most of the network operators give users the ability to opt out if they don't want any of that. And, and of course you can always buy your own home router if you want to do it that way, in which case it wouldn't have this capability. Uh, but most people don't care. Most people like in, in the UK, for example, with BT, um, there are BT hotspots all over the place. You know, you're at a, you're at a cafe, you're at a friend's house, you're at your office, you're at someone else's office. You can get on BT Wi-Fi and get internet access, which is a huge benefit for their, uh, for their customers. And, you know, and there's really, from a consumer perspective, there's really no cost. You know, if, if you're buying 25 megabits per second, you get 25 megabits per second, even if someone else is, you know, using the BT Wi-Fi hotspot in your, in your house. Uh, so it's, it, it's a well-worn path, especially in Europe. You know, in the U.S., it's, there, there are a couple big network operators that are, that are, that have done it at large scale. And there have been, there's been a little bit of pushback, but not much. And we're at 80, you said 80% coverage in, in Europe. Where are we in the U.S.? Do you have any idea? Um, I'd say in terms of homes, there are probably about, um, or in terms of hot home hotspots, there are probably about 18 million home hotspots in the U.S. Now those cover, may cover multiple homes. So I think we're probably looking at 40% of the, of the U.S. homes covered with home hotspots. So that includes neighbors. And I don't know if it was, it was Comcast that had it. Someone was out there with a quote saying they, they think this number is going to double. Like the number's growing pretty fast. It is. It's, so there was a, a, a study from Cisco recently that said worldwide we're going to grow from, I think it was 50, in the, in the roughly 50 million um, home hotspots up to 450 million home hotspots over the next, uh, over the next six years to 2020. So just massive, massive growth. You know, and so I think the, what you're going to see is most home routers that are provided by ISPs are going to include these home hotspots. And so this capability is going to be opened up really worldwide from that, from the network operators that Europe is way further ahead than the, than the U.S. U.S. is, I'd say, catching up. Um, Asia hasn't, hasn't really begun yet, but we're starting to see some of the big network operators have plans to roll out there as well. So this is a, this is a massive trend that's happening really independent of, of what we're doing. We're just piggybacking on the back of it to make the onboarding experience better for all these headless products that, 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 you know, all the, all of the audience of your, your podcast is, uh, making. So you're virtually, you're basically a virtual network service provider, kind of one level up on the stack, providing a service. Uh, on these, on these different hotspots. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So we, you know, we products that, that we work with can work across multiple different networks. You know, one of the, one of the things that the network companies face is they don't have a footprint that's big enough to justify a TV working specifically with their network. You know, so if the TV company is going to do it, it has to work on many networks so that because they're going to ship the same product worldwide. And so we let the network operators provide this service to the product company in a standardized way across all these different networks. And, you know, the network operators have a lot to gain from this because they, you know, they get the benefit of the lower support costs, but they, and they also have a little bit of visibility into what kinds of products are connecting on their network, provide additional services based on, based on those products. It really is a, is a win-win. And so talk a little bit about just the practical, 
practical kind of use over time. If we onboard like a television um, with on a hotspot, is there no, there's no need for configuration, but then that is like a high bandwidth type of application that they're streaming Netflix, for example. So a consumer has a, you know, a lot of bandwidth or a lot of kind of bits going over a, a hotspot using like a video application. Is this something where you may say, okay, well, you want to actually, you want to kind of configure it to where you're on this, this other network. Order. I'm just kind of curious, is it more for onboarding and registration or for like the ongoing use over time? In most cases, it's uh, the onboarding and registration. So okay. most of the some some things like TVs and printers still use local discovery on the LAN for like video streaming or music yep. streaming. Um, but what we do is you know, we use the cloud for onboarding, and in many cases, we can actually automatically flip the the product, like a Wi-Fi camera, for example, over onto a home network Got it. without any user intervention, without the user even entering in an SSID and password. That makes a lot of sense because, yeah, it seems like onboarding is that's the difficult part. Um, and then you maybe have like a configuration screen through an app. We can then do stuff that makes it a little bit easier rather than having to kind of go in and look at all the all the things, the passwords and SSIDs that are the difficult part of pulling it out of the box. Yeah, exactly. And and you know the other the other aspect of it, which is which is pretty cool, is is if you know, say you um, you do change your home password. And you, you know, you have the 50 products inside your home that, that all fall offline. Um, the way you do it today is you go up and you reset each one of those devices, put it back in some kind of configuration mode and then kind of reconfigure it. And with what we do, we actually notify the product company because the thing still then connects to the public hotspot. We notify the product company and we can actually automatically flip it over onto the new private network if we have the right deal in place with the network operator. So in a lot of cases, Everything can be reconfigured for you automatically at, without you doing anything. So it's 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 a so much more convenient, and so much more scalable for the for people who are going to adopt a lot of these products. Talk a little bit about the company. I know you guys you have a, an investor I'm familiar with, Jason Krikorian. He's the guy who people who may remember from Sling. Um, so yeah, he's a pretty good guy to have as an investor, I'd imagine. Oh, he's fantastic. You know, he he came in. Uh, Jason came in on our seed round. You know, I went and talked to Jason. Very early in the in the days of, early days of the company, and uh, he loved it. You know, he's experienced this problem as a as a product guy, and he also knows the network companies really well because he spent a lot of time with the in the cable industry, in the TV industry. Um, so he saw it right away. You know, put money into our seed round and has been a, and actually led led our Series A. He's been a great supporter. The company is uh, about just about two years old now. Uh, we're based, we're in Silicon Valley in San Mateo and, uh, we've got an, an incredible team. I pulled over, um, the guy who mentioned Atheros before. So a guy named Tom Foster, uh, came to, to join us who led sales at Atheros. And then I pulled over the, the business development lead and the CTO from a company called iPass. And they, iPass yep. was Wi-Fi roaming. So they, they had stitched together the, the biggest Wi-Fi, uh, network in the world. And they've, um, they've been able to, to do that for us here at Sirent for totally different use case for making these products connected. Now this is a, a home networking deep cut. I'm going back. I think Jason actually remember being one of the, I think he may have been there. Sling was really one of the only companies that I knew of that went, that actually pushed home plug as an option because I think they probably solved the difficulty of doing uh, streaming around the home uh, using Wi-Fi, And so they were one of the few, Product companies actually pushed powerline networking, so <laughs> I can yeah. tell he's been thinking about this for a while. He has, that's right. I mean, and you know, when I talked to him about this, he recognized it instantaneously. He knew that is a problem. All these companies are going to face that problem. 
um, it's been, it was great to see that resonance. Hey, well, Rob, thanks for spending time with me and tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing at Serent. I think it's an interesting concept. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a business model, uh, uh, innovation in a lot of ways because it's I think it's a different way of thinking about Wi-Fi. So it's it'll be interesting to watch what you guys do. Hey, thanks a lot. Great talking to you today. It was an interesting conversation, wasn't it? I bet you didn't know that devices are getting on your Wi-Fi public hotspot. You didn't even know it. Or maybe you did. You're a pretty smart audience. So maybe actually uh, you guys did. And I'm just a slow one. But I thought it was a good, good conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Sirent at C-I-R-R-E-N-T.com. If you're a long-time listener and you haven't yet given us a uh, a rating or a review in iTunes, we always appreciate that. If you want to hear some of my other podcasts, please try out the Smart Kitchen Show. Uh, we want to grow that. That's a fun show. Uh, and we're getting uh, lots of exciting guests on that as well. So I, I appreciate if you go check that out. Again, you can find that in iTunes, Smart Kitchen Show. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>